Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ, and I'm very pleased to have as my guest Dr. Susie Dusinger, who's Professor Emeritus at the Program in Physical Therapy at Washington University in St. Louis, and Dr. Merrill Landers, who's Chair and Professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Nevada in Las Vegas. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to our discussion. I really enjoyed your article in PTJ. For our listeners, the title is Storm Clouds on the Horizon, The Three Perils of Unconstrained Academic Growth in Physical Therapist Education. Let me start off by mentioning one of the points you you make in your article. You start out by saying, since 2013, there have been 45 newly accredited programs and 70 additional programs in either the candidacy stage or other stages of development, which is really striking. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, as well as the APTA, came out recently with workforce estimates suggesting that there's a growing PT supply and a demand imbalance that's likely to get worse in the future. And that, of course, is the major theme that you're focused on in your article. So my first question is, given the projections, is it not possible that expanding the scope of practice in physical therapy, both in new areas of primary and specialized care, might that not account for this imbalance and reduce it in the future? So in a word, yes, it might. But growth is slow into new and specialized areas. And we probably would be, it would be a risk if we waited for that to happen. So with a larger workforce, we have more opportunities. We know we are very useful for committing health to the population and to individual patients, but it's not the reason to flood the markets with new graduates as we envision an expansion in the scope of our practice. So the profession has been slow to adopt some new areas of practice, particularly in the areas of prevention and population health and promotion of health. And so we, we have some work to do to get to the point where we could legitimately justify a major expansion of workforce. And we owe it to our graduates to have plentiful options for their employment at the end of their program. So that even though APTA has encouraged us to think of ourselves as primary care practitioners, reimbursement doesn't favor that. And even though some have joined their colleagues in cash-based practice, um, there's very few people who practice under those conditions. So we, um, we are concerned that increasing the workforce without a strategic plan and intentional um, actions toward expanding our scope of practice would be unfavorable. So yes, but we're worried. 
Yeah, I wanted to add something on this too. And that is the fact that, I mean, I would love for us to expand our scope of practice. That would be fantastic. But as uh, Susie pointed out, this has been slow. It has not happened as quickly as we wanted. And I think it's important also to recognize that we can't even provide evidence for the many areas of practice that we already do. We have, we have moving into other areas of practice that we don't, we don't even have the evidence uh, to fuel evidence-based practice, you know, for many of the foundational um, areas of physical therapy. And so I think, you know, moving into other areas of practice would require a major shift and focus of attention into increasing our research efforts. Uh, we are an evidence-based profession and um, we need to, we would need to focus on, on improving that. Um, and I think it's also important to recognize that we do have some good evidence in some areas uh, that we have not implemented well. Uh, we need more research in the implementation science realm um, within um, the areas of practice that we currently have uh, scope over. And, and, and lastly, I, I think it's important also to recognize um, that the healthcare industry is undergoing seismic shifts. Um, we're seeing uh, new technologies, digital health, um, health disparities and population health initiatives, uh, precision healthcare. Um, these are areas where we have just, just barely touched the surface on, in the research realm. And, um, you know, if we're going to move into these areas of practice and keep up with the pace of change in healthcare, uh, we have to redouble our efforts in the research, uh, research realm. Well, your, your points are well taken, but it, it does strike me as someone who's been in the profession for many decades now, that our profession has been very slow to take steps to constrain its growth. And one of the arguments that I've heard over the years is that if we don't keep turning out more physical therapists, then other professions are gonna move into traditional areas of our clinical practice. And it's been one of the arguments that I've heard uh, against trying to constrain the growth. W what do you say to, to that argument? Well, I think the argument has merit. And we have um, got to be vigilant about erosion of our scope of practice in areas that are important for our patients and relevant to our, to our work. And that has happened in, in times of of imbalance or in times of not watching for opportunities for ourselves. So we have lost some ground to respiratory therapists in pulmonary care and to, car and to uh, cardiac care nurses in cardio uh, cardiac therapy, to OTs perhaps in the treatment of upper extremities and in pediatrics as well, where duplication of services has occurred and could therefore occur again. So we have to be vigilant about that, but that's strategy. That is not flooding the market with new physical therapists. Now, on the other hand, if we're not keeping close attention to the workforce um, balance, then, then we would be guilty of allowing erosion to occur in our scope of practice. So it's an argument that has merit, but I don't think it is necessarily connected with the decision to uh, float many, many new physical therapists out. And you could continue to argue the validity of the projections of, of supply and demand. And, and that's an interesting argument, but, but it's still 
not yet matched with the possibilities of need. And it is risky given the kinds of um, problems that we have with reimbursement and student debt and all of that, that compromise the existing workforce. So we're worried. Yeah, I can understand where you're coming from. I want to talk about another argument that I have heard over the years, and actually one that, that I experienced when I was dean at Boston University. Back in the late 1990s, there was a period where there was real constraint on reimbursement uh, for physical therapists. And that shift in market force had a, a very profound impact on enrollments in the physical therapy programs at that time. And so uh, the other argument of which that's an example is market forces will take care of it. And why don't we just sit tight and let the market work and not um, react uh, prematurely based on these projections? What, what's your thought on that argument? Yeah, this is a great question, Alan. And this is something that Susie and I, we have talked a lot about. Um, we have talked a lot more about this probably than any other topic and that many of our conversations and our ideas never entered into the paper. Um, but I, I will say that um, one of the concerns that we have is that market corrections are slow in academia. This is not like Main Street USA for when, a, when two or three new restaurants come onto Main Street. Um, you know, it takes six months to a year before the restaurant goers vote on which restaurant will win. This does not happen very quickly in academic circles, especially when you consider that universities have invested a lot of money into these programs. And, um, and you can see this issue that has occurred in pharmacy. Pharmacy started issuing concern way back in 2003. And, and really, their, their, main, their main concerns started coming in 2005. And they are still feeling a, um, you know, all the negative downstream consequences of, of the oversupply of pharmacists. And they, here's the problem. But, you know, because market corrections are slow in academic circles, and I would say in healthcare professions, is that there's going to be a lot of pain along the way for, for all programs, and not just for all programs, but for the profession. If you think about an oversupply of physical therapists, which is what we're, we're seeing with those two workforce projections, an oversupply of physical therapists will, will drive down salaries. Salaries being driven down will uh, decrease interest in the profession. And, you know, couple that with the, you know, the, the negative value proposition that we're seeing in a lot of sectors in physical therapy where reimbursement um, is slow or being cut or where positions are being replaced by, you know, CNAs or other people in, in the hospital setting. And we're seeing, you know, real major issues. And, and this, and you couple this also with, you know, rising student debt, you know, student debt is a major issue here as well. So students graduating with, you know, a really, really high debt, and now their salaries are coming down because of oversupply, um, you can see there, there's, there's some issues and some other pressures. Um, you know, we have faculty shortages, you know, about 350 uh, open positions plus, 350 plus open positions, um, and, you know, about 50 leadership positions as well. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is, this is, we're in scary, scary territory here. And, and I want to also point out too, that, you know, market corrections, like having a physical therapy uh, program close, um, you know, that is a big deal. And, and Susie and I are pretty convinced that that is not going to happen. Um, and especially when you consider the types of programs that have started over the last, 
um, you know, 15 to 20 years. Uh, the types of programs that are started are programs that are in, you know, private institutions. And, you know, if you look at the Tara Dixon and Barrett Taylor article that was published in Physical Therapy Journal in 2019, they talked about, you know, why, why, why institutions start a physical therapy program. And they were able to show that um, institutions were likely to start a program when they had um, low revenues and their expenditures were high. And so these are institutions that see physical therapy as a cash cow. And so they're not likely to get rid of a program because they're using it to, you know, to help uh, shore up some of their um, financial um, problems. And so I, I, I see this as a, a, a really protracted, long, um, long correction. The other thing is that in terms of market correction, it's it, market corrections have never helped us adjust the disparities in practice patterns. So we still have areas of the country and areas of health that are poorly served. So, so the market isn't helping us distribute our manpower, our workforce. And so I'm not convinced that market forces are going to help us at all. Okay, let's talk then about what you're advocating. I think you're, you're making really valid points about the need for action. So let me, let me start by talking about the education community. Uh, you, you've talked about why so many new programs are starting up and the incentives for the colleges and universities, particularly on the private side, to do that. But we're seeing expansion of programs across the board in terms of number of students. What's the incentive for educational programs to come together as you are advocating to deal with this problem. I just don't, I don't see that there's a lot of incentive for them to want to do that. Well, why, why would you do that if you were running one of these programs? Yeah, well, Alan, I, I think on the surface, we think on the surface, there are no incentives. I think we need to create incentives because schools um, continue to develop institutions and their leaderships are pr primarily invested in their own enterprise and not attentive to the impact of program development on the profession as a whole. So there are no incentives. And, and in our mind, and this is not exactly Pollyanna thinking, but, but if we could create a better sense of community and collaboration across the, across the education enterprise, across institutions, actually resources might be saved and better used resources like yes money yes time yes faculty effort and 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 that those might be saved by virtue of collaborating and so our approach to this was not to write that no new schools should be developed it was to take a strategic approach that is enterprise wide and profession wide to see where our best bets for creating educational programs would be that would be able to meet the educational obligations that not just CAPTI puts forth and your basic institution puts forth, but the profession puts forth. And that includes education of physical therapists, research and practice. So there are uh, disadvantages, clear disadvantages to some of these institutions who are making a, a, a great effort to be successful, but the disadvantages in, in meeting all of our obligations 
under those conditions are huge. So we're advocating a collaborative approach, which might sound crazy, but to us sounds like innovation. I, I, I accept the point that you're making, but let's get more specific, okay? Who's going to take the leadership on such a strategic collaborative approach? Where are the levers that would allow us to move in that direction as you are advocating? Because clearly it's not been happening. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I think that this is not something that uh, one entity can tackle. I think this needs uh, all stakeholders to be involved. Um, we need um, consumers, we need ACAP, we need APTA, we need CAPTI. We need people coming together, uh, a lot of minds to have a united vision on, on how we can tackle this issue. Um, I think you know it's not just about the physical therapy programs. I think that there is uh, a lot that CAPTI can do. Uh, CAPTI has made a lot of efforts and I think CAPTI should be commended for making efforts to slow growth or to at least make some intentionality to growth. Um, I, but I think that APTA, um, you know, with its workforce study, that's part of it. We need to have good data. We need to make data-based decisions. Um, that is helpful for us. Um, we also need to arm CAPTI with um, the ability to make, you know, more difficult decisions and to, to you know, to press them into action to, um, you know, to charge uh, or to raise the bar for, for, for new programs and not just new programs, but expansion programs. Uh, we, we talk a lot of, in our paper about, you know, all these new programs that have started, but, but if you look at uh, programs that have expanded, I mean, we've had over the same period of time, we've had 52 programs that have expanded their cohort size uh, and 17 programs have added additional cohorts. So it's not just about, you know, new programs, it's about expansion of programs. And so this is a multifactorial issue that we need to think about. And it's not just about, the, health, the financial health of an institution, that shouldn't be what programs should be thinking about. Programs uh, should be thinking about um, what is best for our profession. And, um, you know, we need to have, um, we need to have some uh, intentionality to, to, um, to this, to this growth. And I think it requires, it requires multiple entities to be involved. Yeah. So we, we had four suggestions, Alan, for immediate um, action and and immediate is in the eye of the beholder but you know the profession has has uh, gathered together to do a number of things one is to, to to achieve the dpt and there are other many examples but the first suggestion is to is to use capti as as a helpmate and and Meryl addressed that well we could have them strengthen their requirements and and impose quicker correction of flaws citations and so on that sometimes happens in CAPTI. Our second um, source of action would be ACAPT. And ACAPT represents 95% of the school. So you have a group um, that has embraced a new organization. And we believe that they could convene a steering committee or a group or an advisement group of presidents, provosts, deans, and so on to inform what the implications of program development are. And as a consultant, I have had opportunities to meet with deans and presidents and provosts and to just discuss the investment and long-term implications of developing a program. And some of those programs have proceeded on and some of them have decided, no, I think we'll do something else. So this is a really tough time for higher education. So ACAP could help. 
The third thing is that regional consortium exists. And the, the biggest uh, uh, community of consortium members is clinical educators. One cannot open a program without the clinical education community being in support. And we tend as physical therapists to be nice and to be helpful and to be excited about new things. And yet the clinical education community has enabled the expansion of, of education in physical therapy. Now, to some extent, there are communities where they need physical therapists so much. I met up with a community that there were 800 people in line for service that couldn't get service because it was a rural community and they couldn't attract physical therapists. So that, that compels me to think that we still need distribution and perhaps expansion of the workforce in some areas. Clinical educators have a source of power that nobody really understands in this program growth um, era. And, and the, the fourth thing is that we, we need to address the motivation of leaders who, who take on the enormous responsibility of developing new programs or expanding their programs in ways and to help through Eli or another um, set of mechanisms uh, to help understand what the motivation is to develop new programs. And maybe it's because there's a felt need and desire for academic leadership that we're not really paying attention to that could be met by expanding our vision of leadership in academia. So, so CAPTI and ACAP and the clinical education community and the potential and existing leaders of the academic um, physical therapy are our first four choices for action. Yeah, I like the fact that you've been quite specific as to the steps that you think need to be taken and by whom. I think that's extremely helpful. It's very ambitious, I will say, very <laughs> ambitious. But um, I, for one, uh, I couldn't agree more that we need to take action uh, in order to get out in front of this issue. Um, one of the things that I've always struggled with as someone who's never really been involved in CAPTI, and you mentioned them first and foremost, uh, they could raise the bar and really make... Um, sure, the requirements are substantially robust for accreditation and, you know, in, in that way, reduce the proliferation of programs that are not really up to snuff. Why hasn't that happened? Why hasn't CAPTI done that? Well, in fact, they have done some toward that goal, yes. So, so they have um, uh, made it more important to have a needs assessment and to have it be compelling. I believe they could strengthen that. They have in, increased the, um, the criteria for faculty and for leadership and for scholarship. And so you have to meet those whether you're in an existing program or whether you're creating a program. But we believe that it, those kinds of things could be even more, more robust and the, that the requirements could be tighter, not just uh, about new programs, but about all programs. We mm -hmm. also have a history of having some programs be on probation for mm -hmm. what I would say might be longer than is justified. And, and that has created a situation where 
Very few physical therapist schools have ever closed. Physical right. therapist assistant schools have closed if they can't meet those guidelines. But that's a different industry. And so we have to figure out what we can do to help CAPD make those criteria because it is us, the community, that puts in input into the Commission on Accreditation of Physical Therapy Education to enable them to make new rules. I was just gonna add, I think, you know, raising the bar is, is clearly one of the one of the low-hanging fruit that we could do to, to limit the growth of new programs. Um, but we, we need to arm CAPTI with evidence and evidence is, you know, workforce projections are, are great. Um, demonst- asking new programs, hey, uh, justify the addition of your program in light of these workforce projections. And so, you know, maybe uh, what we need to have is, I, I, we don't wanna stop programs, you know, from, from growing if, if, they, if they serve a special or unique need. Uh, for their area. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a institution that's in a rural area that has very, very low density of physical therapists, but we feel like these programs still need to have a a data-driven decision for for the reason for their program, but they need to justify that in light of the workforce projections and also, you know, to explain what their, what special need they're addressing. Um, And then I think, you know, arming CAPTI with data will help them to, um, to be able to say no easier. And so I, I think part of it is that we have not had, I mean, the workforce projections up until very recently have shown a, that we have a deficit of physical therapists. And so that doesn't help CAPTI at all. But now having two different workforce projections that show that we are in surplus territory, now that does raise the bar right there. So I, I think that's, that's important. And, and I think that we, we need to make sure that these decisions are, are data-driven. I think also, um, Alan, you can feel this in your heart having been a a dean, that the the simple fact is that the origin of these ideas is generally from higher higher administration in an academic institution. The dean, the provost, or the president takes a look at opportunities and what opportunities might uh, fulfill their academic profile or reduce their expenses or whatever it is the motivation is. And that's why we suggested that interfacing more directly with those kinds of individuals would help that community make strategic decisions. I talked with one provost who said, I wouldn't develop any new programs in any way in the Northeast or the Southeast. And, and his view was the, 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 colleges and universities, and this was a high-level provost in a large institution, um, are are struggling to figure out what they want to do with some of their small programs, large programs, or new programs in order for the financial health of the institution to be maintained. There's nothing wrong with that. This is a business. But to choose physical therapy, even though we are the best profession, uh, is not always the most strategic uh, view. The other thing related to CAPTI, and, and I'm going to go back to needs assessment. I worked with one group, then the provost said, well, we just feel like this is going to be a good thing to do. And other institu- other accreditation bodies, they just, they don't need needs assessment. And I said, I thought this was a, a point of pride to be able to say, look, our CAPTI requires a compelling needs assessment. You need to do this. And they did. And it was actually pretty compelling, but it was not well understood by the provost that this needs to be a formal needs assessment with data. 
Yeah. Well, I have to say, having been a dean, I'm a little more skeptical. Um, you know, in an era with shrinking college age students, private schools are really under the gun. And if they see the potential, even for short term gain by opening a, a nursing program or a physical therapist program, it's going to be very difficult to convince them to do otherwise. I, I really think it's more up to the profession because I think the profession has the broader view than any academic dean or provost is going to have. They're, they're, they're going to be focused on their institution's health. And if they think it's viable, they'll jump through whatever, they'll try to jump through whatever hoops CAPTI creates. Um, so well stated. That, and, that's and that's why our fourth point was let's work on the leadership, because if the institution is committed to doing that, then they need to find a leader who right. will be willing to participate and clinical educators who will be willing right. to participate. And that's why we need to teach people in who would like to be academic leaders. And I have to tell you, I love that role. It was the most fascinating thing to be done, but they need to be able to negotiate what it is to create a legitimate academic environment in any institution. And that's not just the new ones and the small ones, right. it's any institution. And that particular thing is an internal action in our profession. Yeah, and, and you know, this is part of the problem, Alan, and, and, and this is, I, I don't wanna belabor this too much, but there are dueling incentives here. You have academic health, the, the, the health of an institution, you know, financially, and you can see this playing out in their decision-making and especially, you know, like the, the Dixon and Taylor article, um, you, know, you know, just really very much supports that. Um, but also we have to think about the incentives of our profession and, and, and because there are dueling incentives and there, there are complex issues related to this, there is not a simple solution to this. This is something that's going to require uh, multiple different uh, lines of attack. And, and that's one of the reasons why in our paper, we, we gave many different suggestions because we feel like a, a few of these might help, but collectively that might make a difference. Well, uh, I thank you both, both for writing the paper and for taking the time to discuss it with me. Uh, I wanted to do the podcast because I wanted to draw attention to this issue and um, I really appreciate your, your willingness to do it. I, I've enjoyed it very much. So thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.